Hello, welcome to season two of We're Only Human. I'm Tim John. This season, it's all about exploring who we are, especially beyond our professions. None of this, what do you do? In fact, every conversation this season, we're going to start the conversation with the question, if somebody asked you, who are you? What would you say? I'm so excited to see what people answer to this question because I don't, honestly, I don't know how I would answer. In fact, <laughs> secretly, I'm waiting for one of the guests to flip the question back on me. And you know what? To be honest, if someone asked me right now, I don't know what I would say. So today's guest is somebody who stands out in a crowd, I think. She is someone who is always making sure that her voice is heard, but not only heard, used for good. You know what? I'll tell you more about her in a minute. We need to do a sound check real quick. Uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Can I tell you a secret? Of course. I'm, I knew that you were going to ask me this question. and <laughs> Secrets so, so my breakfast was more interesting because I knew that you were going to ask me what I ate for breakfast. Wait a second. Wait a second. You changed. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So that's how this conversation is going to go. <laughs> like you actually ate something different rather than just like lie. <laughs> Today I'm joined by Paige Worthy. She's a daughter, wife, sister, owner of a digital marketing consultancy where she helps clients get more customers with compelling content. And here's what I'm going to do, Paige. I'm going to try and describe you in what I wrote down here as my own words. And this is what I'm interested to see if like, I think it's always interesting when what we think of ourselves versus what we think we're projecting of ourselves versus what people are interpreting. Absolutely. So here's, here's if someone said to me, who is Paige Worthy? Here's what I'd say. I would first start with using three of your own words that Paige Worthy is smashing the patriarchy. I think that says it well. Yes. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think you're somebody who's who's vocal, who's not afraid to stand up in a crowd and speak. I've never been in a crowd with you, I don't think, but I imagine if we were in a crowd, you would be able to, you, you would lead the conversation or not be afraid to break into the conversation, that you're someone who wants to do what's right. And I kind of feel like your calling in life might be to educate everyone around you on how to create equality. And I'm coining this phrase, eradicate unjustness. Um, so, so that's, that's where I would answer the question, who is Paige wow. Worthy? But, but um, if someone asked you the question, who are you, what would you say? Gosh, well, first of all, uh, your description of me really touches me. It's, um, it's amazing that someone I know, but don't know super well, sure. looks at me and that's what's he takes away from how I show up in the world. Um, it's it's the the best possible scenario. the The one thing you forgot in my bio is that I'm a cat mom, which is a weirdly huge part of my identity. Um, my my cats are my children, and I am pretty sure that most anyone that you interviewed who has cats and not children would say the exact same thing. Um, unfortunately, my office door is closed right now to keep our kitten out because she would be the star of this podcast if it weren't. <laughs> um, and to, to piggyback on the lovely words that you said about me, um, the other night I, I finished a book that I had been reading called The Book of Longings. It's by Sue Monk Kidd. And it's a fictional story of an amazing woman named Anna who, um, who actually marries Jesus. I'm not a religious person. I am, I am a full-on atheist. But this is a, a telling of Jesus's wife's life during historical Jesus's life journey, right? So okay. she herself is obsessed with learning, obsessed with language. She's a writer. She's a dreamer. She's a visionary. And 
early in the book, she is gifted this incantation bowl where she writes a prayer to Sophia, who is the the woman embodiment of God in this, you know, old Jerusalem Jewish culture. Um, And in the bowl, she writes, when I am dust, sing these words over my bones. She was a voice. And when I read that, my heart must have stopped for a minute. I was like, that is all that I ever want out of my life is for people to look back and say, she spoke, she was a voice and we listened. That's so powerful. It really, really struck me. Uh, The whole book was pretty phenomenal, but uh, that has stuck in my head like very few lines from any book I've read in a really long time. Do you, I don't want to get morbid here, but you describing that, you describing that (laughs) makes me think of like, uh, again, not getting morbid, but I could see something like that being on your, your gravestone, you know, 200 years from now when you've passed away, like, do you ever think about that? Like, not necessarily the gravestone, but what will people remember me by? Or do you care if anyone remembers you? That's this sounds so morbid, but it's... No, no, it doesn't. That that made me think about that. It doesn't at all. Um, Well, I I am going to be auctioned off for, you know, in parts to science for free um, and cremated. So I'm not going to have a headstone, but... Um, I, I'm not sure if I think a lot about how I want to be remembered long-term because I, I really want to most impact people in the here and now. And my hope is that if I say something that feels important or something that teaches somebody something or makes an impact in any way, my hope is that they'll internalize it as their own. Because very seldom, especially on the topics that you said I was really passionate about, I don't have a lot of novel thoughts about this. I'm passing on what I've learned from people who have been doing this work for years through their own lived experience, through their scholarship, like a lot of what I share about, you know, racism, white supremacy, the patriarchy, capitalism, even, um, I have really been informed by this anti-work movement lately, um, which, which is a whole tug of war in my brain right now, but, um, I'm just sharing things that I've learned. So, you know, my hope is that if, if someone here is something good and true that they'll internalize it as their own and just keep spreading it. I don't need to be the source. So if they go to their grave, remembering like, man, Paige said something once that like really stuck with me that I really took through the rest of my life. Great. That's great. I love what you said about the here and now. Cause I'm such a person, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm such a person that lives shares that mentality. I want to live in the here and now. I'm very concerned with the here and now. Sometimes maybe to a detriment, I'm not concerned with the future. And the further out in the future we go, I'm really not concerned with it. I was going to say the exact same thing. I probably focus a a little less on the future than I ought to. But yeah. flying by the seat of our pants is so fun. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, again, I, I, not to get morbid, but I mean, there is... St- you know what? Let's just go there. Let's, <laughs> Life- let's, just, let's just be in this death space the whole time we talk. <laughs> the cliche, life is short. It, it's true, right? Like, I mean, no one knows what's happening tomorrow. And it just seems... Not silly. I, that's probably offensive because there's no right or wrong way to do this. But to me, sure. it, it just doesn't seem fruitful to worry about six months from now when the next six days could be everything and anything. Yep. And so well, it's and, hard. And honestly, at the rate we're going, um, tomorrow, the next six days, the next month, um, is, am I allowed to curse here? <laughs> In this, I, I'm in laughing because so many guests realm. 
First of all, the answer is yes. But I'm laughing because so many guests on this podcast ask that. And it's just funny because I don't care at all. Go ahead. I'm honestly (laughs) impressed that I asked. Um, That feels like deep character development to me. Um, You know what? I feel like if I were to say no to that question... If, if I'm creating a space here where hopefully we can have a, a very deep, comfortable, real human conversation, and you were like, hey, do you mind if I curse? And I was like, uh, no. I think that would like shatter the whole meaning it, of this, right? It might bring down the curtain a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go um, ahead. Well, what I was going to say is that the next day, the next six days, the next month, it's going to be a shit show. That's what we know. I got, everything is a shit show. COVID's a shit show. Politics are a shit show. The climate's a shit show. We're all, we're all just, not all of us. People are shit to each other. Like it's, it's a mess out there. And I, yeah. So like, let's do what we can to, you know, sow seeds of goodness today that like perhaps will take root tomorrow in six days in a month whatever but there's no guarantee so we might as well be here and and just do the thing that we can do now is it is it glennon doyle that that says do the next right thing i'm not familiar with or is that literally from frozen 94 i i it actually might be from a disney movie it might be from one of the frozen sequels (laughs) (laughs) your fact checkers can do the work on that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah my whole my whole team of fact checkers (laughs) yeah your your staff they're on the shelves right (laughs) yeah i when you were describing sort of how there is a lot of i mean shit in the world in a sense um uh, you know, I, I was, I'm reminded I was just in Phoenix this past weekend and we were climbed to the top of Camelback Mountain and it was the most beautiful view. It's the second time I've been up there. But as we looked out over the valley and over downtown Phoenix in the distance, you could see this haze and this fog above downtown Phoenix stretching across mm-hmm. the horizon. And I asked my friend, I said, you know, what is that? Is that like fog? Or, and he said, I think that's the pollution. And yeah. It was just this dichotomy of standing on top of this beautiful mountain in nature in a beautiful state in this country. And when you look down at where the humans have settled, there's just this symbolic and real cloud above it. And it was sort yeah. of disheartening. Um, what? So, so when I think of all that, I think about that's a lot. There's a lot of pressure you're describing on yourself, on, on all of us as humans, just living in this shit show, as you describe it. <laughs> I want yep. I I'm wondering what does the phrase let go of the monkey bars mean to you? Oh. My you, you know I have this tattooed on my wrist. I did not know. I had a, a hunch, but now I so, know it cuz you just showed me. <laughs> so it it used to be a bracelet um that a uh, actually my first client when I decided to leave my full-time job um at a trade magazine and see what I could do striking out on my own. Um, she, she was everything. Her name was Kelly McGee. Her name continues to be Kelly McGee. She lives in Minnesota and is a tremendous woman. And she took a chance on me and we, we went to sign my contract papers at a tapas restaurant in Arlington Heights, Illinois, and, uh, had a, had a great time, had some great sangria and as we're walking to the Metra for her to drop me off and send me back to the city, um, I noticed this stack of bracelets that she has on her arms and it's, they're all cuffs. And the, the open side of the cuff is facing toward me, but there's obviously something on the wrist side. And I, I asked her about them and she said, oh, actually she took one of them off and the bracelet said, let go of the monkey bars. And she gave it to me and she said, if you want, you can wear it like me so that that message is only for you so that you're the one who sees it every time you look down. And in that moment, let go of the monkey bars meant you have to be willing to do the scary thing, letting go of where you are now to swing forward and grab the next thing. So 
I wore that bracelet and let go of a lot of monkey bars on this personal and professional playground. And I mean, wore that bracelet out and uh, decided I'm, I'm literally going to put this on my body in ink because it is that important to me to remember that taking chances is exciting and necessary and risky, (laughs) but nearly always rewarding in some way, if not in direct success, then in a lesson it provides, which I've had a few of. Um, And I ended up sending the bracelet to my friend, Teresa, who lives on the West Coast, um, because I thought that the message would benefit her. So now, now it's out there twice. Oh, that's amazing. Had you ever gotten a tattoo or was that your first tattoo? It was my first. Oh, how meaningful is that? Yeah, it was, it was very much on a whim. Um, it was, it was Memorial Day weekend and I had, I had gone and had a few mimosas with a couple of girlfriends and I just got this wild hair. I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to get this tattooed on my wrist. I don't know where that thought came from. I knew that my mother would be utterly incensed, and I did it anyway. I walked into, I mean, I'd never been to a tattoo parlor ever, but I I walked into this place at Augusta and Milwaukee, right by the highway, and I flipped through a book of typefaces of fonts for half an hour, just looking, looking for the right typeface to permanently stamp myself with this mantra. And, and I picked it and I I went back and it hurt like hell. And I walked out with my arm, you know, Vaseline and wrapped in plastic. And I can't think of many decisions I've been happier with because I am, I'm so proud to have this literally as part of my being now because it it has been such a defining thing in my life what kind of typeface were you looking for the right one i don't know um the so i i asked i asked the the tattoo artist to to use a gray wash instead of a dark black mostly because i didn't I didn't want it to show as profoundly, Um, but, but as I look at it now, like it's, it's kind of bold and funky, but it's also light. Um, It's everybody compliments me on it when they see it. Um, And looking at it, like one of the O's that the O and of is, um, is actually kind of messed up. Like he, like he kind of, slipped with the needle or something. Um, it's, it's a little bit fuzzy at the bottom. And I I don't think much about the experience anymore, but this is this is just fully me. It just feels like me on on my wrist. It's such a great I phrase. I love that phrase. Let go it's, of the monkey bars. It's absolutely my favorite thing. And um and actually one of one of my clients um, who I just got off the phone with, um, she owns a, a jewelry company and they, one of their products is like a, a mantra bracelets. And I, I showed her, uh, I told her about the phrase, I showed her my tattoo. I told her it had once been a bracelet. And, and then she was like, well, I want to make you a bracelet. <laughs> that says that. And I was like, okay, amazing. That's great. So, so we're, we're coming full circle now you know, as, as I found what I consider to be tremendous success in this first endeavor to let go of the monkey bars. Um, I now have a client who found that phrase compelling enough that she wanted to put it back on a bracelet for me. So, um, so as I think about it, that's kind of amazing. That is amazing. I I just, ah, once you got that, so you get the bracelet initially and then it affects you enough to get the tattoo. But 
Is it just sort of this, I'm sure the tattoo is a physical reminder, but is it also just something that is a mantra in the back of your head now as you just live your life day to day? Like you're, you're always thinking, how can I let go of the monkey bars today in a new way? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. I think that, uh, I think that the phrase was, was really imprinted on me really early on. And I've, I've put, I've, I've put measures in place in my life that help me be in the headspace to make those, you know, to take those risks, to make those, you know, swinging leaps into the next thing and feel, you know, held. And like, if I fall down on the wood chips and scrape my knees after I fall off the monkey bars that, you know, I'm going to be okay. And I'm very fortunate that in pretty much every case, if I fall off the monkey bars, I am going to be okay. There will be someone there to catch me. I will have a financial safety net. You know, I will have a great husband who likes me almost all the time. And, you know, I have that net, but I, you know, I go to therapy every week and I talk through, you know, if, if I have a big swing I'm about to make. I can talk through that stuff. And I have a great little circle of friends that I can talk through things about. And I have a wealth of experience of successes and true epic blunders that I can look back on to educate me on like, what is this particular monkey bar letting go going to look like in practice? Like, do I have some some data from my life that I can extrapolate here? Um, But yeah, it's, it's absolutely um, a mantra that I have in the back of my head all the time. And it, I think it has helped if it, if it hasn't helped make me who I am today in sort of the boldness that I move toward life with, it's certainly fortuitous that I, you know, got this cuff that could maybe remind me that I already had that and that the universe saw me. Oh, I like that. Like you, it's like a superhero. Like you had it within you all along. And this was sort of this like reminder. I didn't, I didn't get the bracelet until after I was like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to quit my job. (laughs) I didn't have the bracelet when I, heard that an ex-boyfriend from college had moved to Los Angeles to pursue his career in screenwriting when I was like, fine, I don't want to live in Kansas City anymore and work at this community newspaper. I want to move to New York and work in magazines. So I did it. (laughs) Like I didn't have the bracelet when I decided, man, New York has bankrupted me in nearly every way that bankruptcy could be construed. I'm going to follow this boyfriend and move to Chicago and take this job out in the burbs where I'm going to be commuting for three hours a day. I just, I just did it. I let go of the monkey bars. And then I got the bracelet. So like chicken, egg, who can say? Who can say? I wonder. Who can say? We, we got an omelet in the end. <laughs> I wonder if, I mean, it's a, it, the bracelet, and the tattoo are a great reminder to you of this daily. And I also wonder now if maybe it's a reminder to you to sort of continue to pass that on to others. Like let go of the monkey Gosh, bars is so. something that was maybe always in your blood. But yeah, maybe now you are sort of charging yourself with spreading the good word. So as I've found some good places to land after letting go of whatever particular bar I'm moving from. Um, like I, I really have been fortunate slash adept in life to, to have really great results come out of the maybe, maybe outwardly facing stupid leaps I've made in my life. Um, and at any opportunity, you know, if somebody who wants to, freelance or make a big move or 
I don't know, break up with someone who is not right for them. I hope that I am showing up for them full throatedly saying like, yep, if you're feeling that you should do that. Like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why you want to do that, why it's a great idea. Let's talk about what might happen and how you might prepare yourself and still do it anyway. Sounds like you'd be a good therapist. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Um, Knowing, knowing what I've dumped on my own therapist. um, I think that I would, I'm too much of an empath and a, and a highly sensitive person to do that work. But I have got a tremendous respect for people in, in the mental health world. Um, That said, I, I have a client who, who calls me her, uh, her professional thunder shirt, which I love. Um, like she, she feels safe in a marketing cocoon when we talk and, um, you know, and if I, I do try to be a supportive friend, a supportive professional confidant, um, and make sure that my clients feel seen and heard and and understood in any interaction I have with them, whether that's about you know a certain deliverable that we're working on, whether they're we're building their foundational messaging, whether they're expressing concerns about being in relationship and spending money on something that they don't have a guarantee of whether it's going to work. Like I, I don't know. Well, here it goes. We're all just human. Right. And I fully agree with that statement. Does literally every guest do that too? like end up saying something like, well, we're only human. You know, it's been happening more and more frequently, which just makes me smile more. It makes me smile too, because I, I think that like we've, We've so normalized talking about our humanness. Yes. And that just makes me glow from the inside out. Um, so we're literally like we're never anything but humans communicating with other humans. That's something that I try to show in my relationships with the humans in my in my orbit. It's something I try to communicate to my clients as they're thinking about how they position themselves, how they talk about their business, like strip the jargon, strip the, strip the overcomplication. Like you are literally talking to another human. Don't make it hard. Don't make it confusing. Like let's just come to each other. And like, that's what creates relationships. That's what sells. That's, that's what makes the world go round. Just, Communicate with other humans. Be clear. Be compelling. Be kind if you can. I don't always succeed at that, but, but we keep trying. We keep showing up. It's the best we can and do, right? It is the best we can do. Um, and I've gotten better at it through the years. The being kind part. I've gotten better, and we do not need to talk about any of the past around <laughs> that. Um, because when I'm nervous, I overshare, and that is not something I need to overshare about. But I am I am a better person and a and a human that I am proud to be these days. Oh, I love that. That's like I said, the best we can do. You mentioned before we were doing sound check um, that you were talking to your therapist about being on this podcast, <laughs> about having this conversation, yes. Uh, yes. which is I so curious as to like. Um, what you what you discussed was it was it the concept of like being on a podcast period or something about I guess what no. I'm curious is is it was, about it this podcast this in particular it <laughs> oh, was God. it was this one so so listen like vulnerability is fully my jam like I I am an open book largely I will pretty much talk about anything like if you are if you have earned a modicum of my trust, I'll tell you anything. And uh, you reached out to me on LinkedIn, inviting me to be on this podcast. And you reached out to me a couple of days after I decided to dip my toe back into the 
the tech bro hellscape that I thought LinkedIn was. And I was like, oh, well, like this is a podcast about being human and being vulnerable and like sharing personal stories. And like, I don't know how far I should go in in talking about myself. Like, is that gonna is that gonna damage my capital P personal brand? Like what what is going to come of all of this? Like, I don't know, I just we we start to we start to spiral a little. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> and and as we're talking uh during during my session um which is like thursdays thursdays are the best day thursdays i i wake up and i do yoga i do i do my breakfast my crossword puzzles and my new york times spelling bee and my wordle and i drink my coffee and then i shower i go to yoga or nope i go to therapy and and then i start my work but not until after i've done my full big self-care morning it Thursdays are amazing and I get to cap it with a great conversation which is cool so while we're talking about like I don't know how basically I don't know how me I want to be I talk myself back around because the, the thing with therapy is they're not there to fix you they're that's never their job a therapist's job is to let you talk yourself back around. Like they can help guide you, but you're really doing the hard work. Like if you're if you are seeing a good therapist and if you are doing the work, you're the one who's working hard. Um so so, so I I ended up I'm pretty sure I stopped mid-sentence and I said, "You know what? I, I'm not actually worried about that anymore." Like I I've been showing up as fully me on LinkedIn, a professional place where I somehow have like over a thousand followers, which I guess is a product of just having been there since the dawn of time. And like people don't know how to use LinkedIn. So they're just like, yeah, I'll just connect with this stranger. Yeah, I'll just follow this person. Like, okay. So, so I've made the choice to show up as fully authentic page worthy on LinkedIn and I haven't burst into flame yet. And if I show up here and say whatever it is that comes into my head as we're talking, if someone hears that and doesn't like my particular meanness, okay, thanks for coming. See you later. <laughs> I'm not I'm not worried about them because they're not my people. And I talk to my clients all the time about how important it is for people to qualify themselves out in addition to, you know, qualifying as leads. Like it's just as important for someone's website to put up little smoke signals, little flags of like, "Hey, if you're reading this and you don't like it, this is probably not for you. Like it's really important to send up those flares. And if this is a flare for somebody, if this is a flag that they're like, well, she's she's talking about making chicken sausage for breakfast and getting a tattoo and like we only eat pork sausage around here and our skin is clean. Like all right, like, that's fine. I, I wish you well. See you later. So, uh, so yeah, let's, you know, let her rip. Let her rip. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you say if I told you, and this is true, that I reached out to you because of what you were posting on LinkedIn? I'd be delighted. I would think, well, Tim is my person. Tim is my people. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, that, that makes me really happy to hear if it's true. Is it true? It is true. Yeah, <laughs> it is true. Um, now that's, that's really lovely. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned that I reached out a couple of days after you sort of made a decision to become more involved in, in sharing on LinkedIn. Um, and that just happened to coincide with when I was 
getting full-fledged into I'm going to start opening myself up to who I want to talk to for season two of the We're Only Human podcast. And, you know, however the algorithms work, they, you know, surfaced you on LinkedIn when I would pop in there and um, my curiosity, you know, did the rest. But um, the algorithm was like, show him more crazy. Why do you say that that <laughs> I would think that you were or what you were posting was more crazy? Uh, you know, no reason because it's a defense mechanism. Who can who can say? Um, I I'm not crazy. Um, honestly, like nobody's crazy. Like neurodivergent, maybe, but um, we throw around crazy like it's a bad thing. Um, like I I'm glad. I'm grateful that you that I came into your feed that you found what I was writing interesting or compelling or whatever and that it allowed us to get back in touch. That's the most I can hope is that you know I'm able to rekindle some dormant relationships. I am able to get back into conversation with some people that I clearly connected with for a reason. Um, maybe learn some stuff maybe teach some stuff like so yeah i'm not crazy i take it back oh i didn't mean to like call you out on it i just (laughs) wanted to explore that if that was a feeling (laughs) (laughs) no it's okay i i call people out on stuff all the time you mentioned earlier that you are not a religious person you identify as an atheist um i'm very curious uh, from what i understand when you were in high school you sang a solo at a mass in venice italy which sounds like Bro, a pretty where did pretty you big deal. read that? Oh is my it, god. Is it true? It is true. That seems like a very um, big deal. So I'm curious how that plays into, you know, maybe you be, you became atheist afterward, but I'm just kind of man, what I'm really curious about is like what what where that came from, but also like what did that mean to you if anything? I'm like, okay, I for for everyone who's listening, um I'm taking off my sweater because I I literally get flushed when I think about this experience. Um So, so I have been, it's weird to say I've, I've been an atheist or at the very least an agnostic since I was, uh, since I was confirmed in the Presbyterian church. Um, but I I think a lot of families do this with their kids where they're like, okay, you're gonna, you're gonna go through confirmation and then you can decide, you know, if you want to, if you want to go to church and I'm like, well, that's one way to do it, I guess. <laughs> I know it's a thing, um, but like you know, we have to like write a statement of faith. Like it, there was, there's a lot that goes into getting confirmed, and I, I mean, I was in eighth grade, right? So like, what does any eighth grader know about what they believe? I don't know. Well, I I didn't believe because I remember writing my statement of faith and being like, well, this is bullshit like this is well written but this is bullshit I don't believe a word of this and like that was fine it my my lack of faith in capital g god has never has never been a a real point of conflict in my life um it's just kind of a non-thing it's a little bit more of a thing right now because of the faith makeup of a professional uh, organization that I'm part of, but I, I am not certain we'll have time to talk about that. Um, the thing with singing in Venice, um, St. Mark's, I honestly, if I, if I had a belief in God, it would stem from music and flowers. The flowers thing, I used to work for a horticulture trade magazine, and I went on a trip once uh, to California for an event called Pack Trials, where all of the uh, the flower breeders would show off the, the, new, the new flowers that they'd bred for the coming year. Would you believe that there actually are like new seasons of plants like that come out every year, like like fashion week? I literally went to fashion week for plants. Like new plants or new variants new of plants? New plants. 
Yeah. I did not know that. No, it's wild. And they all have like fancy names. And, and anyway, I, I actually wrote a blog post, I think at the time that I was out in California that like, these flowers are so incredible to behold, like the perfection that lives inside these things. Like it's almost enough to make me believe in God because it's, it's hard to think that anything about this was random or a, you know, a product of just like hard science. But, you know, but that went away because I still don't believe in God. Um, so close. The singing thing. So close. Really, really no, not close at all. Um, the the singing thing, um, music is the closest thing to a spiritual relationship I think I've ever had. Um, I started singing in choirs when I was in elementary school. I sang with the the Kansas City Children's Chorus for a year or so and joined my school choirs when I was in middle school. And when I got to junior year of high school, um, it's... I'm not the kind of person whose life peaked in high school. I'm not like the star quarterback who like is still living out his, his like days as a sex God in high school, but like junior and senior year had this magic about them where I, I was singing for two hours a day. I was in two choirs. I was in our, our huge choir, the Shawnee Mission East Coraliers in Prairie Village, Kansas. And I was in our smaller group called the Chamber Singers. And there were 24 of us. And it was it was just one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever been part of. Um, we there were three of us on a part sometimes. So our each of our voices was so important to making the music to to form these complex sounds that we made. Like I, I haven't listened to recordings of us in a long time. And I'm sure that in some ways we would sound like a group of high schoolers (laughs) singing together. Um, (laughs) But God, in that moment, we were, we were angels. Um, Every time we sang together, like I, I was just covered in goosebumps. I, I love singing with those people. And in my senior year of high school, um, the the Coraliers, which also contained the chamber singers, um, took a spring break trip to Italy. We were in Italy for 10 days and we toured around. We we landed in Rome. We got to see all the sights. We got to sing in the, uh, oh, hell, what's it called? Um I forget what it's called, but there's this, this big, it's not the, the Coliseum. It's a different place. Um, just this big open ruin with incredible acoustics and just tourists milling around everywhere. And we stopped people in, in their tracks singing in the middle of this, this holy ruin. And a lot of the music that we sang by, you know, the nature of being a choir was sacred. We sang a lot of sacred texts. We sang a lot in Latin. Um, we sang some in French. Um, you know, that that's just a thing you do when you're in choir. I went to a public school. It wasn't a religious thing. Um, there are a lot of, like, the Requiem text, which contains, like, the Agnus Dei text that has been rearranged and re-sung and re-performed a bazillion times. Um, that's just part of what we sang. We happened to be there during Lent and that that didn't much matter throughout most of our travels because we encountered a lot of, you know, ball-capped American tourists <laughs> and like they don't care. But we'd been invited to sing in uh St. Michael's, St. Mark's. We'd been invited to sing in St. Mark's Cathedral somehow. I don't know what connections our director had. Um, he was, he is, continues to be an amazing guy. His name is Tracy Resigue. He's about to retire. And I'm so sad that the world doesn't get to learn how to sing from him 
anymore, but he has busted his ass through his career, um, dealing with a bunch of snot-nosed teenagers, (laughs) (laughs) trying to teach them how to embody music. Um, But to perform at St. Mark's during Lent, we had to sing Lenten music. So there are certain texts that you perform during Lent, as I understand it. And so those are the pieces that we had to choose, I think. So we, there was a song that the chamber singers performed called Ubi Caritas. That is, it's absolutely lovely. The arrangement we sang was, oh my God, lovely. And I wish I knew what the Latin translation of Ubi Caritas was in English, but the first time we performed the piece for an audience, uh, there's a, the first line of the piece is often sung by a single voice to sort of bring, I don't know, kind of to like call it up, to call up the text to like enter everyone into it. And I, I do not have a voice for solos. I have a, a very straight tone. I'm a blender and Mr. Rezegi had me sing that first line at our concerts and and I did it and and he was pleased and so he whispered sort of sotto voce at us and when we stepped forward as chamber singers at St. Mark's and so he mouthed Ubi Caritas played his pitch pipe and then he pointed at me and I was like Oh shit. <laughs> I guess I guess I'm singing this. So so I sang it and the space was, was pitch dark, like nothing but candlelight, you know, in those big tall jars with the the dripping wax and the candles down to like a half an inch of of wax and um nothing but that and like a little bit of light streaming in through these stained glass windows and I harmonized with myself. The acoustics were such that my voice came back around to me before I was finished singing. And I will never forget what that felt like for the rest of my life. That's amazing. It's just the chord. I, I'm thinking here, you singing that solo, he, he points at you. I'm, I'm thinking this is like, the first time you're letting go of the monkey bars, or at least the, the earliest <laughs> point we've talked about in your life in this conversation. Wow. And I, I can see the pattern there. Like that's, I mean, you're, you're what, like 17, 16. Yeah. <laughs> and it had a, a big cathedral in Italy, you know, I mean, this, this is like a movie. And yeah, I, I just, I didn't know you back then. Um, but I didn't I, know and, myself back then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just in the movie version of this that I'm playing in my head, you are confident, you are scared as anyone would be, but you got this. You have no trouble letting go of the monkey bars. Yeah. I you know, who knows what I was thinking at the time, but if you know, if 2022 page were the little poof on the shoulder person back then you know, it would be very much like, there's no way you're going to let fear or nervousness cloud this opportunity that you have to, to be the only voice in this incredible room to invoke the voices of the rest of your peers, like to, uh, you're not passing that up. Open your mouth and make the music come out. Um, and like, I'm sure, I'm sure they would have started if I'd clammed up or like fallen over or whatever. But like, it was me. I was opening it. I was opening the whole concert. Like, you don't turn that privilege down. No, not at all. Oh, how beautiful is that? Oh, why'd you make me remember that? I'm going to be all wistful all night now. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you often, like, does that memory come up often? I, I think about 
singing with those people all the time. Um, yeah, St. Mark's comes up from from time to time. Um, but yeah, being the fact that I got to be in Italy on on a week when a lot of seniors were, you know, at senior frogs in Cancun with their fake IDs, just like getting wasted on crappy beer. And I'm literally singing in these rooms so packed with history and faith and life and death and like all of this, like it was just momentous in my life. So yeah, it pops into my head every once in a while. It, it doesn't, it doesn't get vocalized very often, but um, it's definitely one of those things that I can look back on and think, God, I was lucky to, to get to have that opportunity. Um, I, I guess I, I have lots of feelings like that in my life. Like I, yeah, I worked hard and sang well in my chamber singers audition back in high school. But like, I was lucky to be at a school that had a great choral program. I was lucky to join concert choir my freshman year and say yes to that. And, you know, that it was choices that led up to that. And it was, uh, it was also good fortune. And that's, that's everything else that's happened in my life. It's been good choices, good performance, good fortune, all rolled up into, into one thing. Most of what I've done hasn't been quite as cool as singing at St. Mark's in Venice, but now I, now I have a star to shoot for. (laughs) That you do. (laughs) Paige, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that we had this conversation and, God, me um, too. yeah, thank you. Thank you for having the conversation, but thank you just for being you too. I'm glad that Paige Worthy is out there and that you are smashing the patriarchy and letting go of those monkey bars. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and you know, there's, we got to leave room for other people to grab their bars and let go. So you have to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, you're awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was really fun. You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.